Hallelujah. Christ arose. Amen. Thank God and praise Jesus. What a joy it was to get to sing that song outside of Easter Sunday morning, was it not? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious, glorious, loving Heavenly Father. We come before you today, Lord, looking to tackle what is a really tough topic. And Lord, I feel burdened to share this message and yet so inadequate to do so. And so I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would stir in our hearts this day, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would draw us close, that you would remind us, that you would strengthen us, that he tore the bars away. And because he did, that we're going to be okay. And so, Father, we look to you now to understand all about what Jesus has done for us. Open our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are continuing on our study of the Apostles' Creed, and we have been looking for the past two weeks at the first two lines, and hopefully I pray that you have gotten a better understanding of exactly what we mean as Christians all around the world when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then the creed goes on in the, in the next several lines to follow, and it lists ten things. Ten things that are so about Jesus in order that your sins and my sins would be atoned for, demolished, and removed from us once and for all and completely. And then there's one thing that will happen in the future to bring about the completeness in heaven and on earth. And because of those ten things plus one, you and I can not only have hope in our future, but we can have hope in this lifetime as well. And so here's what they are. We're going to go over it. If you would change that slide for me, Matt. Um, I've got the ten in green and the one in blue. So here's what we as Christians around the world profess that we believe about Jesus every single week. We believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay, he was conceived so that he has no original sin. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He came to this earth and was born as a human being for you and for me. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died and he was buried. Then he descended into hell. Now, some versions of the Apostles' Creed will say that he descended to the dead. It just depends on the translation that you're reading. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And all of this came to pass so that our sins could be atoned for. And from then, he will come again. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. These are the things that we believe about Jesus Christ as confessed when we recite the Apostles' Creed. And I truly wish, friends, that we would have enough time to cover all of those in depth. 
because they're all so important and they all have such great implications for our lives. But today I'm going to focus on just two of those things that I believe that God is calling me to expound upon. And I believe he's calling me to expound upon them because there is somebody, somebody here today who needs to hear this message, who needs to be encouraged and who needs to be reminded that Jesus descended into hell, but he ascended into heaven. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, what do you mean Jesus descended into hell? What are you talking about? We don't say that in the United Methodist Church, Jesus descended into hell. We just said the creed and it didn't have that in it, did it? And I will say to you that there are two versions of the Apostles' Creed. There's one called the traditional version. That's the version that we say every week when we recite it and the one that we just read. But there's also the version called the ecumenical version. And the ecumenical version, we as United Methodists say when we do baptisms and when we do confirmation. If you look in your hymnal, you will see um, one of the examples is on about page 39. It's the baptismal covenant. And we, as a church, as the body of Christ, we, rep we recite what is called the ecumenical version of the Apostles' Creed, and it does have that line in there. So Christians all throughout the world are confessing that this is what we believe about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for the majority of my life, I didn't like saying that Jesus descended into hell. I didn't like saying that Jesus descended into the, into the dead. And so when we had a baptism and it was time to read that line, I would just go quiet and I wouldn't read it. It was just too awful, I think, a thought for me. I don't know whether I thought it was blasphemous to say that Jesus was in hell or, or to say his name and the word hell in the same sentence. I, I, maybe it was because I thought that my Jesus didn't belong there. Or maybe I just didn't want to admit that the extent of his suffering extended even beyond the cross on which he had hung for me. But I just, I didn't say that line. In my mind, I guess I thought that Jesus just maybe slept in on Saturday between the crucifixion on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. I, I guess I, I didn't really consider what he was doing at that period of time. But folks, I don't think like that any longer because Jesus was still at work. He was still at work, only we couldn't see what it was that he was doing. And so we have to rely on the scriptures to guide us and to tell us what was going on. And, and our scriptures do tell us that he wasn't just sleeping on Saturday. And thank God for that. Thank God that Jesus just wasn't sleeping in. Because he was doing great and necessary things. And it's only recently, now that I understand that, that I can say that he descended into hell when I recite the creed. But not only can I say it, I can feel comforted in it. And my prayer is that by the end of this little talk today, you're going to feel comforted in it as well. And so here's the question. Did Jesus really descend into hell? Matt, if you would just change that slide for me. There's the question. Did Jesus really descend into hell? So let's start by talking about why the creed makes that statement. Why do we profess that? That Jesus descended into the hell or he descended to the dead. That comes from the scripture that we heard Betty read for us this morning from 1 Peter. 
And it also comes from our understanding of what the people of God knew about what happens when we die back in that day. So the period of the Old Testament, which is of course before the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the soul went to the place of the dead. Now listen, I'm gonna, I made a timeline. If you could put that up, Matt. I'm kind of proud of myself when I look at that. Because I'm just new to PowerPoint. And look at that. Anyway, so try and follow along while I said that. So, so in the time of the Old Testament... Uh, be prior to the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the soul was understood to go to the place of the dead. Now, the Hebrew word for that, you'll see at the bottom, was sheol. Sheol. And there are many scriptures in both the Old and the New Testament that describe this place. And they all point to sheol being in the heart of the earth. Numbers Three, I think, specifically says Sheol is in the heart of the earth. Now, we need to understand that Sheol had two realms. One for the people who trusted in God, in Yahweh, and in the coming Messiah. And one for people who did not. So one was a place of suffering. And one was a place of great comfort. And in fact, Jesus in Luke 16 kind of gave us a picture of what those two realms within Sheol looked like when he told us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You may remember that story. Lazarus was sick and poor, and he sat outside of the gate of the rich man's house. And every day the rich man would walk by him and see him, and he did not have compassion on him. He did not show love to him, which is what the people of God were called to do. And that's how we know that the rich man was not a godly man. He didn't go to torment because he was rich. He went to torment because he wasn't a godly man. And so both of them died, the rich man and Lazarus, and they both went to Sheol, but they went to different realms. They went to different realms. The name Lazarus, that means God is my help. And so he represents the godly man. And he went to the place in Sheol called Abraham's bosom. Now they called it Abraham's bosom because it was believed that when the believers in God who died arrived in that place, that Abraham was waiting for them. He gave him a big old hug. A big old hug. It was a place of comfort. And that's where Jesus tells us that Lazarus went and he was comforted. But the rich man, he went to a place of torment and suffering. And you remember from Jesus' story that the rich man could see Lazarus. And remember he said to Abraham, have him dip the tip of his finger in water because I'm dying here. I'm so thirsty. And Abraham said, no, there is a great chasm that is fixed between the two. And we cannot cross back and forth from place to place. So you might say that they were imprisoned in that place where they were. For a time. But stay tuned. Okay? So up here on the timeline I have um, prior to, you see the center is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what's represented by the three crosses. Prior to that time, we had the Old Testament. We were under the Old Covenant. And there was the sacrificial system was in place. Remember, the, the, the animals had to be sacrificed for the sins, to atone for the sins of the people. But after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we were under the new covenant. Jesus was the final Passover lamb of God. But in the old covenant, they believed that, um, that people went to Sheol when they died, that there were two compartments. 
after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. You see where we, where we believe that we go. Anyway, so keep that in mind as I continue. So Jesus, we believe he even told us that he was going to that place. He told us he was going to Sheol. Matthew, in his gospel, in chapter 12, records a, a time when the people said to Jesus, show us a sign that you are the Messiah. As if healing the dead and turning water into wine and, and raising the, the um, you know, having a lame man walk, all those things that Jesus had done, as if they weren't enough, they said, show us a sign. And Jesus said, okay, I'll give you a sign. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, Jesus said, so shall the son of man spend three days in the heart of the earth. We call that the sign of Jonah. Now, I guess back in my days of denial, I thought that Jesus was saying that for three bodies, for three days, his body would be buried in the earth. Because back then, a tomb was dug into a mountain in the side of the earth. But looking at the scriptures a little more closely helps me to understand that differently. So remember I told you a couple minutes ago that the Old Testament Sheol is described as being within the heart of the earth. So Jesus was essentially telling us when he said, so shall the Son of Man spend three days in the heart of the earth. He was telling us where he was going. Jesus was going to experience what all the souls in, back in that day under the old covenant experienced at death. Because even though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And because he hadn't risen from the dead yet, he hadn't yet defeated death at that point. So what happened to all souls when they died in the days before Jesus was that they went to Sheol. That's where it kind of gets hairy. Because the creed, the Apostles' Creed, wasn't written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. And the Greek word for Sheol is Hades. Hades, that's the word in the creed as it was originally written. Now, Hades means the place of the dead. And it refers to a place below. When we translate Hades into English, well, we use the word hell. And that's where it comes from. Jesus descended into hell, but Jesus went to the place of the dead. He went to Hades. Now, the Greek words for those two realms, I have them listed up here on this slide, were Gehenna. Gehenna was the word that described the place of torment. And it's named after what was an actual place. There was a place in Jerusalem, just on the outskirts, called Gehenna. And really bad things happened there. It was a place where um, one of the kings went and sacrificed his children to uh, a false god. And uh, it became known as a place of horrific things. It later became a trash dump. People would dump their trash and they would burn the trash. And so this place was stinking and it was always burning. Gehenna. And so that's why the Greek word Gehenna kind of describes an awful, awful place of refuse and of torture. And then there's the Greek word for the place of Abraham's bosom, that place of comfort. And it's paradisos. Paradisos. And from that, we get the English word paradise. Watch this. This blew my mind. You may remember that when Jesus was on the cross and on either side of him were thieves, one of the thieves turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed that Jesus was the son of God. And what did Jesus say to him? 
He said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? And I always took great comfort in that because I thought that Jesus was saying to that thief, today you're going to be with me in heaven. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying today you and I are going to be in the presence of God. He said today you will be with me. Jesus wasn't going to be in the presence of God. He was going to be in the presence of the thief. And the thief died before the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So where did he go? He went to Sheol. Abraham's bosom in Greek paradise. So to answer the question, did Jesus really descend into hell? Here's the answer. You ready? We don't really know for certain. The best that we can do is look at what the scriptures tell us. And the scriptures and even the words of Jesus do in fact point that way. And so as hard as it is to stomach that, I believe that that's what he did. Jesus went to Sheol in Greek, Hades, in English, hell. And yet I pray that you and I can take comfort in that fact. Not because he went to the place where you and I don't want to go. But because of what we believe that Jesus did when he went to that place. And so what did Jesus do? If you would change that slide for me, Matt. What did Jesus do between Friday and Sunday? Based on the scriptures, I believe that Jesus did two things in that period of time. So I'm going to read for you once again, Peter, 1 Peter 3. It's, it's verses 8 and 9. We had a typo in the bulletin. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So the first thing that Jesus did was to take away the power that our sin had over us. There are those believe, who believe that our Sins could not have been atoned for unless Christ suffered the entirety, the entirety that we should have suffered as the consequence for our sin. So my sin demanded a payment, a blood sacrifice, and Jesus bled and he died as the sacrificial lamb on that cross. But my sin also carried a punishment and that was death. And it was separation from God, exile, a.k.a. Hell. So on Friday, Jesus took the blame. On Friday, Jesus took the penalty. He suffered the punishment, the separation, the torment, and the death for me. And after that, his body went into the ground. And then Jesus completed the job by taking for me the exile into a place where I didn't want to go. And you know why he did it? Because he loves me. He did it so that I wouldn't have to. God made him who knew no sin to become my sin so that through him I could know the righteousness of God. Friends, do you know how much Jesus loves you? 
Because if you don't, you only need to look to the events that we profess, that we believe in, in the Apostles' Creed. And then Peter goes on in that scripture to say that he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Those are the people who were in Sheol. I've often heard people ask me, well, what about the godly people that died before Jesus got here? Is your God just going to leave them down there, separated and not in heaven? Is he just going to abandon them to the grave without any hope? And the answer is no, no. Our Savior went to that place and he grabbed onto the keys and he liberated the captives. And then on Sunday morning, he busted out of there. He arose from the dead. And in doing so, Jesus defeated death. And in his own words, he said to you and me, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now behold, I am alive forevermore. And then what did he say? He said, and I hold the keys to hell and death. I have the keys. Friends, Jesus defeated death for you and me when he paid the price once and for all for our sins. And when he did that, he did away with that old covenant, that Old Testament sacrificial system. And new things were coming, folks. It was the new covenant. Now, after he raised from the dead, Jesus walked on this earth for 40 days before ascending to the Father in heaven where he is making a place for all of us who put our faith and trust in him. Under the new covenant, believers go to the place that he has prepared for those who believe in him. The scriptures remind us also, folks, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is with the Father, but these are Jesus's words to us. I will take you there so that where I am, you will also be. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, then and only then was his work on our behalf done. And there is a new paradise waiting for you and me. Now, what does that mean for us today? Matt, if you would change that slide. What does all that mean for me? Friends, here's why this talk weighs so heavy on me. Because it doesn't matter if we know what the scriptures say, unless we know how the scriptures apply to our lives today. We have to know what it means that Jesus descended to the dead and rose to heaven if we're going to have any help or hope in our times of desperate need. I was watching the series Chosen. I cannot recommend enough to you to watch the series Chosen. We're doing a study on Wednesday nights about that. You are welcome to join us this week. We're going to order pizza and we're going to watch episode four. But in episode one, Episode one focuses on Mary Magdalene, and uh, it, was, it takes place before she met Jesus. And you may remember from the scriptures that Mary Magdalene was tortured by seven demons. They would seize her. They would throw her to the ground. And in one scene, she couldn't take it anymore. And she was sitting in a bar back in that day asking for the bartender, you know, the guy behind the bar for a drink so that she could just escape her misery for a minute. 
and the bartender tried to say, this isn't the way to go. Like, this isn't the thing that you should be doing. And she interrupted him and she said, I am in hell. And the moment I heard her say that, I believe that the Lord showed me that she wasn't alone. How many of us are in a place in our lives where it is dark or where it is scary or where we feel alone and we don't feel the presence of God or where we feel so ashamed that we know that God just wouldn't possibly want to be in this place where I am. I'm just stuck. I wonder how many of us have endured such grief that we can't even feel the presence of God in our lives. Because if you have, then I'll tell you what, you understand what it is like to be in hell on this earth right here. And how many of us have just been so ashamed? I've sinned. I've done wrong. And it's quite possible that God wouldn't want anything to do with me because I'm just not good. Utter shame. Folks, that's hell right here on earth. Addiction, depression, isolation, witness to horrific circumstances that we just don't know how to deal with, debilitating sickness. All of these things can cause us to feel like we are in a place of darkness, a place where God would not possibly want to go, a place surely that must be hell. I have been there. And I'm willing to bet many of you at some point in your lives have as well. But friends, Jesus went there. He is our hope for today. Jesus went to the scary place so that you and I do not ever have to be there. Jesus went there and he took a hold of the keys. And then he came back so that you and I could know that the battle was won. The gate is open. He tore the bars away. The grave is defeated and darkness is swallowed up in his love and his mercy for us. Jesus Christ is our victory in death, but he's our victory in this life and on this earth as well. And I wonder how many of us stay in that dark place because we don't even realize that the door that we think is holding us there has been ripped off of its hinges by the Savior of the world. How many of us are just too afraid to come out of the darkness and into the light? How many of us are prisoners in a jail that we don't have to be in? Jesus was not kidding when he said, I have come so that you would have life and life to the very full. And he put action behind his words when he died and he went to hell and then he arose and he went to heaven so that you and I could have life to the full and could have eternal life. My brother Tom shared with me a song that I believe literally hits the nail on the head. It's called Ain't No Grave and it's by Bethel Music. And if you get a minute, I would encourage you just to look it up. It's a little repetitive, but it's a great song. And here are some of the words that I believe hit the nail on the head. The song says, there was a battle, 
a war between death and life. And there on the tree, the Lamb of God was crucified. He went on down to hell and he took back every key and he rose up like a lion and he's setting the captives free. There ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I want to close with a quick story about a man named Harold Storm. Harold was an atheist. His adult life had been pretty miserable. And he believed because of the circumstances that he found himself in that surely there was no God. God could not exist if he would allow me to suffer what I'm suffering in this life. That was what he believed. And one day in 1985 in a hospital in Paris, France, Harold had a near-death experience. And he wrote a book about it in which he said that as he died, he felt his soul starting to go to hell. And he felt the torment and he felt the torture. But far off in the distance, he saw a tiny glimmer of light. And just as he saw that light, his mind recalled a song that his mother had taught him when he was a young boy. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And in remembering that song and in remembering that there was a Jesus who said he loved him, Harold was reminded of a truth that he knew all along, but that was buried somewhere deep down in his misery. And so Harold called out to Jesus. And he asked to be forgiven for his unbelief. And he asked to be saved from his misery. And he was given a second chance. And he came back from that death. And Harold Storm is now an ordained minister in the Church of Christ. And he spends all of his time traveling all over the world. Telling people of the Savior who has rescued him right from the clutches of hell. Friends, have you allowed your fear or addiction, or guilt, or anything else to make you stay in a hell on earth that you don't have to be in anymore? Because let me remind you that Jesus loves you so very much that he died for your sins, that he went to hell and he took back the keys and he unlocked the door for you. And then he came up out of that grave and he walked in love and in light until the day he went home to prepare a place where you and I can be with him forever. And all you and I have to do do is remember that we are so very beloved and know that there is nowhere you could ever be that he isn't right there fighting on your behalf. All you got to do is remember the truth that you know deep down that maybe you have just forgotten and call on his name. And then get up and walk out of your hell. Because his love has already opened the door for you. I'm going to ask you to sing with me. And let's remind ourselves that Jesus just loves us so much. Because maybe somebody here forgot it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so.
Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that we can know that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how scary or how dark or how separated or how isolated we feel, you have met us. You have gone to that dark place so that we don't have to stay there. I thank you that you sent your son who loves us so much. And I pray that at the moment of our very greatest desperation, that you would call to mind that memory. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.